So I think that when you start shifting your personal behavior, um, those turn into habits. And then you start like paying attention to other innovations, like other things will start jumping out to you. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm Nick LaPara, and this is my chance to talk with people who are doing extraordinary things in the world because they saw something wrong that needed to be made right, and they gave a damn about it. Howdy, friends. Welcome to episode 14 of the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Can you believe it? 14. So good to be with you. Before I introduce my friend and guest for today, I want to speak directly to you for a moment. I've been thinking about some stuff and I want to share it with you briefly. First, this podcast is my favorite thing I've ever done, honestly, and I've done a lot of cool things. This one tops them all, I think. I love the conversations I get to have and I love the process of creating. Second, I do it for you. Seriously, I love hearing the stories from you about the changes happening in your lives as you begin giving more dams today than you did yesterday. Third, I can't do this without you. I really mean that. I need your help, your ideas, your support, and a hell of a lot more. My dream is to create a platform for us to tell these stories through a podcast, through videos, through social media, through printed journals, periodicals, through a book, through public speaking, If you'd like to find out more ways to help me do this, go to patreon.com, search for Let's Give a Damn. And honestly, if you're not able to help out financially, please just share this with everyone you know. Many of you are already giving financially, and many more of you have shared this with your friends. Keep doing this. I mean that. The three things I just shared, I mean those. This is a really incredible opportunity, and I love that you're along for the ride. Okay, on to our guest for today. I got to chat with my friend, Melissa Orozco. I met Melissa last year at Mashable's Social Good Summit in New York City. I was there with my good friend, Brandon Harvey. Go check out everything Brandon is doing, by the way. So I was there with my friend, Brandon Harvey, and I knew Melissa was up to something great as soon as I began talking with her about her life and her work. Melissa is the founder of Yulu PR, and her team is almost entirely made up of incredible women. First of all, that's amazing. What's more amazing is they turn down many potential clients in order to only take on clients who are socially active and conscious. I'm obviously gonna let her explain more about what that means. Even as a young social entrepreneur, Melissa has already had an incredible career. She received Marketing Magazine's 30 Under 30 Marketing Pro Award and she was the chair of communications for the Urban Land Institute of BC from 2011 to 2016. She also played a key role behind impactful and global campaigns, including Fuck Cancer, where on behalf of Yulu PR, she earned an international Stevie Award for best global social good PR campaign of 2012. Additionally, she worked with World Housing where she launched a PR strategy for the world's first one-for-one home gifting model, resulting in homes for more than 2,000 Cambodians. She has earned many other awards, but I'll stop here as to not give her a big head. Just kidding. But seriously, she's a remarkable human, and I'm stoked to share our conversation with you. So without further ado, 
Here's my chat with the incredible Melissa Orozco. Hey, Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So glad you're here. We've been trying to set this up for quite some time, but I'm super excited uh, yeah, for you to be here. So thank you so much. You and I met very briefly at the Social Good Summit in New York City a few months ago with our, well, now our mutual friend, Brandon Harvey. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we've kept up and you were offering to help hook me up with some uh, interviews for the podcast. And then it dawned on me one day, I was like, no, I want to interview Melissa because she's doing incredible work. So I'm glad we could uh, work this out. Oh, thanks. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's uh, start with closer to the present and then we'll work our way back in your life. So okay. what do you do? Um, I, I own a PR agency called Yulu PR. So um, that's the easiest way to describe it. I do PR, but, um, but the, I guess the longer version of that answer is um, we are a PR agency that's dedicated to um, sharing stories that have positive impact. Um, we're a social impact PR agency. We're a B Corp PR agency, um, but that's really what the agency is. I I do everything from HR to biz dev to sure. um, consulting clients. Um, but yeah, that's, we'll probably get into more of those details. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I go on your website, when anyone goes on your website, one of the first things that I see is the statement, we share stories that matter. What does that mean for you and your team? A story that, like what qualifies as a story that matters for you? Sure. So um, what we mean by stories that matter are stories that um, will result in having a positive impact on society or the environment. So it's a social mandate that we have with any clients that we take on. Um, we, we believe that stories have the ability to impact human behavior. And so, uh, if stories can, you know, drive behavior, then we should share stories that would drive positive behavior. So that's what we mean by stories that matter. Yeah, that's fantastic. I totally agree. We're story people. We've been telling stories for thousands and millions of years and those stories are able to lead us and sometimes alter the course of our lives. I've experienced that personally, and that's why I love the media. I mean, everybody, so many people call themselves like storytellers, the new cool thing to be. Um, but I, I, I believe for those that are really dedicating themselves to the, the, the task of storytelling for social impact and for social good, I, it, there's no more worthy cause in my mind. Um, so tell me about some of the projects. I, I look on your website, I look at some of the projects you're working on, and it just blows me away. Just some very impactful stuff. So for for me, uh, explaining more of them and for the listeners, what are some of the projects you guys have worked on and what impact have they had on the world? Sure. So um, let me actually take it a step back to sure. describe what we do a little bit more, and then I'll be able to talk about the projects that we work on because it'll make more sense. So yeah, right. uh, I guess it was maybe two years ago, we started embarking on the development of what we call impact relations. Um, and so what that is, is uh, it's an evolution of PR. So we have a no spend policy. Um, we're committed to uh, authentic, transparent communications, which um I've been doing PR for over a decade, and I've worked at um, many different types of firms, corporate, lifestyle. And the idea is, you know, amplify a story, and and spinning wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It is when 
you apply it to things that actually um, affect human behavior. And that's something that we're seeing a lot of right now. And so, yeah, we started building out what we call impact relations. And it's the amalgamation of uh, impact consulting. So consulting our clients on how to have more sustainable business models, how to be more socially responsible, um, and to make sure that those communications are followed through authentically and transparently. Um, and then we share the stories. And so that's where the storytelling comes in. So you said you have a no-spin policy. Have you have you worked with any clients that maybe were pushing you to put a certain spin on a story or a campaign they were doing and you had to take a hard stance? Like, no, we're not going to do that. We do things a certain way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's been, there's been times where we where, you know, you'll run into cause washing and someone will say like, oh, okay, you guys are an impact or purpose-driven agency. Um, we like that. We, you know, cut a check or we we partake in this breast cancer march every, every year. And it's kind of like, okay, well, um, what can you guys be doing further than that? Like, are you guys able to engage with that community? Are you guys able to do more than get a photo op? Because um, that is something that you kind of run into a lot. And... Fortunately, our clients are actually pretty good about that, and that's because we go through a vetting process of, like, how are we going to share your story? What are your intentions? What's your mission? So they definitely don't have to be purpose-driven companies. We, um, so that's actually a good segue into your previous question about what kind of clients that we work with. An example, we worked with, uh, when we first started implementing Impact Relations, we, I guess our first, uh, from beginning to end case study was um, a finance client that came into us and they were launching what's called a robo-advisor. So robo-advisor, um, they're popping up everywhere. Essentially, it's like an online wealth management. So similar to how we have online booking agents to book a flight, like Orbitz or Travelocity, um, robo-advisors are like robotic online uh, wealth managers. And it's, it's a smart model because they're able to manage your money, look at the market, make changes faster than a human could. So this industry has been um, been growing. They came to us to do PR because they they understood that we have finance and tech experience. And again, that's part of the like we're a generalist agency. We just have a social mandate that we apply to all of it. So we have clients in tech, real estate, lifestyle, etc. And so they referred to us, but instead of just turning them away and saying, oh, "Okay, you don't have a social mandate. You guys aren't doing anything socially innovative," they hadn't even launched yet. So. It was an opportunity for us to say, like, take the first call, say, like, okay, we're really, um, you know, it's great talking to you. We try not to push our agenda too far down the throats of, of businesses because those are the people that we actually want to convert, right? So um, we went back and looked at what the market opportunity was, what are some of the social innovations happening in the fintech space, how might we be able to come back to this business and say, okay, we want to work with you, but here are some things that we think could really bring. Um, you know, more impact and more significance to your campaign. And they, they liked it. So what we did was we came back and proposed that we, um, no, nobody else in the market had done socially responsible investment options for robo-advisors. So, and the robo-advisors are really appealing to a gener- like a millennial generation because right. it's people that sort of trust robots to manage their money. Um, and so we were able to build a business case for it, which has really been a huge part of us growing impact relations is convincing businesses that are bottom line businesses that this is really good for their, it's still good for their bottom line to, to think with a triple bottom line mentality. So when we launched, we launched as the country's first robo-advisor with 
socially responsible investment options. And that was our big story. It got great pickup. And a few months later, the largest player in the market launched a socially responsible investment option. So those are the kind of ripples that we hope to make, you know, letting other companies see it, seeing how that can impact a market. And then, you know, now we've got less people investing in fossil fuels and um, oils and gas and whatever it might be. Yeah, that's really great. That's fantastic. Um, are there any other examples right off the top of your head of just different teams or projects you've worked on and the impact that they had? Yes. Well, now all of our clients are having impact. So um, initially when we started the firm uh, six years ago, it was um, 50% cause-based. And then it was actually working with one of our clients called World Housing. They launched the world's first one-for-one real estate gifting model. It was when working with them that we got a taste for social enterprises and seeing how to bridge the gap between enterprise and impact. And that's when we sort of said there wasn't any turning back. We wanted to stay in this this sector because we knew that it was very relevant and that it was going to just continue to grow. That was about three years ago when we went completely uh, social innovation focused. The following year, we became a B Corp. And then it has just kind of continued to grow from there. But um for, for uh, the case with World Housing, I'll explain what that business does. Um, they're a social enterprise, so it's a one-for-one real estate gifting model, and the story is really interesting. The, um, the founder of Tom Shoes, Blake Mikofsky, he was on a flight with the, the people that ended up launching World Housing, and these guys were real estate uh, marketers, so they really didn't have any experience in the social impact or social innovation space, but they had sort of put their business on hold because it was right around the time of the recession. And one of the founders decided, I'm going to go back to school and study affordable housing because in Vancouver, where ELU's based, there is a, um, a big issue with affordable housing. It's the most expensive city to live in in the continent, I believe. Um, oh. Over New York and San Francisco. Yeah, just got Crazy. that the other day. I know, it's unbelievable. Um, so he was going to do something on affordable housing, and then he met Blake Pukowski on the plane and, and learned about the one-for-one model and how it applied to shoes and thought, well, I can try to adapt that for real estate. He spent a few years trying to find what communities needed it most, what was sort of like the bottom of the housing market, because he had for 30 years only marketed to the top of the housing pyramid. The most luxury type of real estate, hotel type of real estate that you can think of. I don't want to specifically drop names. But um, what he ended up finding was um, dump communities in Cambodia. So what a dump community is, uh, in case anyone hasn't heard of them before, it's, um, it's essentially communities that live within the dump. And they, and they live in landfills. And so um, this one was in Phnom Penh. Um, these people, they're referred to as dump divers or garbage divers, and it's it's what it sounds like. They spend their days um, sifting through trash and finding recyclables, and that's how they make their living. They make about a dollar a day. Hmm. When we did the launch for this campaign, we um, contemplated if we should use more politically correct or politically sensitive wording around it, but then we strategically decided not to because we felt like, why should we sugarcoat something that's actually the reality? They, they are dump divers. They, they do, you know... They do live in the dump. Like that's that's a message that should be understood, um, because it actually helps with what with what the model was. So what they ended up doing was developing one for one real estate. So um, they did a partnership with a, a big time developer in North America, 
and um, and for every condo somebody bought at this development, we would gift a home to a family in Cambodia, and it costs about wow. yeah. And initially, it was it looked to cost about a thousand, and then by the time we finished the model and everything, it was about two thousand dollars. But still, we're building a house for two thousand dollars, which is pretty significant. And then, so we did a launch. Um, for them, we took them to New York to talk about the story because people just wanted to understand, like, how are you bridging a uh, traditionally bottom line industry like real estate with with impact? And um, what we did was we created a, um, a certification model. So it wasn't just a matter of you had to buy a condo at this house to be able to gift a, con- a, gift a home to somebody in Cambodia. We The certification model ended up looking like um, you had to just become a certified real estate developer to be part of the program. And so that became appealing to media everywhere. And then suddenly we had media in um, New York wanting to know like how developers in New York could adapt this model as well. Yeah. Or, um, yeah. So I feel like anybody, like $2,000, I'm just sitting here thinking like, why wouldn't anybody not want to be a part of that? Like on the, both on the developer side and on the, if I'm purchasing a house, like, Sure, charge me two thousand more so that someone you know in, in a, a dumpster community mm-hmm. can can have a home. Like that's just that's incredible to me. That's awesome. Well, yeah, and the, the other thing is, it's it, and it's okay to say this. It's marketing. It's it's helping that developer sell condos as well. Same as you know, knowing that when you buy Warby Parker, um, you're you're voting with your wallet, or when you buy Tom's shoes, you're voting with your wallet. It's a good marketing position for companies to show that they're socially responsible, that they're you know that the purchases that their audience make will have an impact that extends beyond their shopping bag. So yeah, so we loved everything that that account stood for because I had traditionally worked in real estate PR. And so I kind of understood how that, how that market worked. I understood, you know, I'm a a businesswoman and I appreciate that people look at their bottom line and I want to be able to help my clients achieve that while also doing some good and having some positive impact and looking at socially innovative ways to do it. And so working with World Housing was really where I saw, okay, this is a very effective model. This is going to be highly scalable. This is the way purchasers are going to be thinking. This is the way consumers are going to be thinking. And this is really the way of the future in terms of um, like responsible consumerism. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I just saw uh, somebody quoted Mark Cuban on, uh, on Twitter and the, I forget, I I don't know the exact verbatim quote, but basically he was saying that like social, like social companies is the way of the future. Like, why would you not want to figure out a way of, you know, you make a little less money here and there, but you're able to impact the world in such a huge way. Like for me, this is crazy what you're telling me because yeah, I understand with like glasses, Warby Parker or Tom's with like shoes, one for one, that totally works. Mm-hmm. But here we're talking about like, you can gift a home right. uh, when you buy a condo at this complex or whatever. That's incredible to me. I love that. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So you mentioned bottom line a few seconds ago. Let's talk about real quick not specific numbers, but let's talk about your bottom line. You like when you guys decided to go, I think I saw 2015, you decided to work exclusively with brands that, you know, demonstrate social innovation or were open to it. So as you guys have uh, gone down this path, have you guys seen a positive or negative effect on your company as a whole, on your financials? Like how has this transition gone from, you know, primarily thinking about we have to work company that makes money to, we're going to do that still. Like you said, you're a businesswoman, but now we're going to also work with companies that give back. 
Right. Well, so we, in terms of a profitability um, perspective, we've managed to maintain the same profit percentage, which is great. We, we implemented a couple years ago what we call thoughtful growth. So thoughtful growth essentially means we're going to be selective on the clients that we bring in, but also on the size of our team. So, you know, a couple years ago, our team had a few more people than it does now. And they've left because maternity or, you know, other opportunities, great, like great reasons to move on or find reasons to move on. But we didn't rush to fill those spots again um, because we knew at the same time, it just kind of happened, I guess, around the same time that we were being more selective about the clients that we were taking in. So, yeah, in terms of perfecting our bottom line, fortunately, knock on wood, we're consistent. And this year we are actually... um, we're looking at expanding into the New York market. Well, we've been planning this for the past year, but it's actually the, the pieces are being put into place and we're spending time out there. And, um, and so that is a little bit more of a intentional growth plan, but we've you know planned really well for it and we're excited about it. But in terms of the challenges from, um, well, I guess one of my mentors, I was talking to her, telling her that we turn away about, 80% of the business that comes in our doors and her jaw almost fell to the floor. Um, um, that was last year, at least. We started to keep track after a while. We've created systems to make it look, you know, something that doesn't hurt so much. So if we refer business out and we get a finder's fee to other agencies, because, you know, there's a lot of good business coming in. We don't want to, we certainly don't isolate them or tell them, you know, why why it doesn't work. We'll just simply make a referral. But, um, We'll, of course, first try to convert them, <laughs> as I've told you, um, see if they're open to having some social innovation put into their account. But, um, I mean, some of the other challenges that we've faced is um, scaling a business that's in a relatively new industry. Like, this industry is was still in its infancy when we started. So the concept of social innovation is relatively foreign and still is to a lot of business leaders. Um, we've encountered... Uh, our fair share of skepticism from decision-making executives who think that social innovation is either cute or aspirational and that it's less effective to their bottom line. Um, this is happening less and less, but uh, and that's really where our position of you know thoughtful growth, making sure that our case studies are very strong, making sure that our work speaks for itself and that we can present a very strong business business case for the proposals and the pitches that we're putting through because companies will come to us and that's I guess that's another challenge is companies will come to us and they'll say okay we want to we want to hire a PR firm for this and we're like that's what you think you want a PR firm for but what about right. having a PR firm for this instead <laughs> and then they're kind of like um, no that's not what our request was and then we have to explain to them like well this is why we think it should be and it's it's surprising i mean we won't really push it if we don't see the potential we won't really push it if we don't see like the potential of a client actually being open to that but it's, yeah, it, it's going to get to the point where we don't have to push it. And it, it is increasingly getting that way, which is pretty cool. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, before we move on to talk about you for a little bit, um, explain B Corp for the listeners. I, I don't, I, I, my guess is probably a lot of people listening don't know what that is, why, how a business becomes that, why they should become that. So could you give us a brief uh, explanation uh, for B Corp and then we'll yeah. move on to you? Yeah, sure. So B Corp is so B Lab is a is a nonprofit that oversees 
a community of B Corps. And so B Corp, to be a B Corporated um, company, it means that you've become certified through a pretty vigorous um, review process. The, the B Corporation will look at your employment policies, your worker rights, you, how much are you paying them? So in Vancouver, for instance, the living wage in Vancouver is $40,000. So you have to pay everybody at least living wage um, in your company. That is not the living wage of other cities. So it's, it's a little challenging when you're in one of the most expensive cities to have, have that as your yeah. starting point. Um, but sorry, let me stick back to B Corp because there's I, I could talk about B Corp all day. There's so many great things. <laughs> about it. It's a community of two 2,000, I think we just reached, businesses that are essentially committed to using their business as a force for good. The network is growing pretty rapidly as the social innovation conversation and space is growing, which is great. Like I said, with the with the um, impact assessment, what you have to do in order to become B Corp certified, it, it also keeps you accountable, like being part of the community, it keeps you accountable much after you become B Corp certified as well, because you're, you're in an ecosystem of other businesses that have similar values or that have different challenges that we're all sort of hearing about and wanting to adhere to. So B Corp, it's not industry specific. You can be a law firm, in our case, a PR firm. Um, you can be like, some of the B Corps that brands you would know is like Etsy or Ben and Jerry, um, Patagonia. Oh, and then Elaine, Eileen Fisher just became one. And then you have companies that are in the consulting services. So previously, if you wanted to have a stamp showing like your ethos or your um, your mandate, it was you were usually in the product services. So you might have an organic or free trade or you know something like that, kind of justifying the steps that you've taken to have a more socially responsible or environmentally responsible product. Um, but com- companies that were in the business sector, such as PR firms, legal firms, consultants, they couldn't get that kind of stamp. So it was a little difficult to align and show that this is this is a value system or a value chain that you um, believe in, you know, on as as a as a first impression marketing tool, if you will. Yeah. So that that I would say is actually the last benefit that I would say, and it's actually a really strong one, is that it is it is great marketing because of the just because of the network that you're part of. Um, B Corps really love championing other B Corps or just other social responsible businesses. Like we've we've gotten inquiries from other businesses that are certainly not a B Corp and you don't have to be, but they're like, oh, we like the fact that you guys are a B Corp that shows that you, you know, have these set of values. So we think that you'll probably be a good communications agency to communicate our story and to help make sure that it's authentic or whatever it might be. So yeah, I don't I don't know if that answered what a B Corp is. Oh totally. Is. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It answers it. If if so if people can they can find a website where all these are listed if they want to really make sure they're purchased buying from or consuming from companies that are B Corps. Can they find this online? Yep, you can go to, um, I think it's like <laughs> bcorporation.net or, anyway. They can yes. Google it and it's there. Google B Corp. And yeah, and then on the homepage, I think it's right there. It says find a B Corp. And then it, like any service you want, if it's, you know, if you want a lawyer that's a B Corp, if you want, if you want to shop from brands like clothing brands that are B Corps, you can find out who are B Corps. Um, yeah, and we actually, we work pretty close with them. We, we, we work with other B Corp PR agencies to share some of the, like we've created, um, we've brought impact relations into the B Corp community and we call it the B Impact Relations Council. And so we've teamed up with other um, PR firms that are B Corps and we're creating communication strategies to start sharing some of the stories of, 
various different B Corps, getting our mission out there. We're working on a big campaign this year. It's called the Inclusive Challenge. So you've probably heard a lot about inclusiveness lately. And yeah, so the whole 2,000 businesses are committed to taking an inclusive challenge. Well, that's if everybody takes it. But the community itself is kind of all surrounding around this inclusiveness um, topic right now. And there's uh, like one-off conferences happening in different cities. And yeah. Great. Thank you for explaining that. We're going to spend the rest of the time on you. Uh, enough, enough about work. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your upbringing, your family, the kinds of things that would help us understand how you became a person that gives a damn about others in such a meaningful way, namely like your whole career right now. Sure. Uh, give us any of that. Okay. Um, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was born and raised. All of my family is there. And I had a pretty traditional uh, American upbringing um, Parents were very involved in our extracurriculars. Football was on every Sunday. Um, my parents were very much into rock and roll and classic rock, and so we actually learned a lot of our life lessons through music. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Albuquerque is, is where I was raised, and it's a beautiful state um, with really amazing, passionate people. And like any other city, it has its social issues. So. Uh, Everything from, I don't know, there's, there's addiction, there's uh, issues where Native Americans are a little overlooked, as a, as a gentle way of putting it. And yeah, my, uh, my parents divorced when I was, they separated when I was six, they divorced when I was nine. My brother and I lived with my dad and my sister lived with my mom. Um, when I was 15, my dad passed away. We were really close. Um, I found him in his bed, actually. It was, uh, and, and it was one of those things that I think that I didn't really appreciate the significance that it would play in my life in the long run. Um, I tried to just be strong and keep my head down, and I, yeah, I, I didn't, I probably didn't give it as much credit to how it shaped me in the long run. It's now that I'm in my 30s that I look back and I think about what are the things that sort of molded me to be the person I am. But when you lose a parent, um, you you become a little tougher. And I think that, uh, you know, I did night school and summer school so I could graduate early. I wanted to keep good grades just so that I could get into a good university. But my, you know, my parents offered different things to me to, to shape who I became and what that looked like. My dad was very much about doing the right thing, family first, stick to your values and morals. And my mom was very much about championing self-respect and shoot for the moon. And um, I grew up with this belief that I could do anything that I put my head to, put my mind to, pardon. And so they're, they're both actually extremely instrumental and um, impactful on some of the decisions that I've made that led me to where I am. But Canada, moving to Canada was also a big thing. I think that it's it's not an opportunity that everybody has to live in a different country. And when you when you live in a different country and you have that outsider's perspective, you get to see from that, from an outsider's perspective. And Canada is a very liberal country. 
country in general. So was there like a specific uh, moment when the light switched on for you? Was it, like I call this the give a damn moment where it's this moment that you can never come back from where you start seeing the world differently. Did that take place when you were growing up? Uh, once you were in your career, has it happened yet? Are you still in the process of it happening? Um, yeah. What, what's that like for you? So I think like professionally it happened Personally, it probably happened when I came to Canada. Like I, um, or no, actually, more so when I moved to New York. Um, when I lived in New Mexico, everybody was Catholic. Um, I had a, a couple Jewish friends, and you're Hispanic or white. And um, like when I moved to New York, people would say, "What's your ethnicity?" And I'd say Hispanic, and they'd be like, "What does that mean? What are you?" I was like, "Oh, well, I guess I'm half Mexican and half white." And, like, there's a division, though, in New Mexico. You wouldn't say that you're half Mexican if you, if you weren't because it, it's a class thing. You want to, you know, it's, it's really not cool. Um, and so, so there is that, just sort of seeing that the world is bigger than the small town that you come from and, like, that there's other views and there's other, and that's actually, and there's other religions, which was a big one. And that was something that my mom was kind of struggled with a little bit. She was just like, I don't want you to lose your faith. And I was like, well, if anything, I've gained faith for a lot of other things mm. too. Like I, yeah. I have a more open opinion about it. Um, and so that was on the personal front. And then, yeah, moving to Canada was pretty, um, it was pretty key in terms of like taking a step out of the country and seeing the country from an outsider's perspective. It was interesting. Um, it's been interesting. And yeah, I've still like people will make jokes and I even make a joke. I say I'm born American, born in the States or what do I say? American by birth, Canadian by choice. I guess I don't say it that much, Um, but I make this jingle, but I actually am really proud to be American. Like I, you know, I, I might joke about it here and there, but it's sad to see the like country in such a divide right now. And um, the fact that everybody is, a little angry or confused or trying to figure it out. So yeah, that's part of the reason why we're looking forward to the expansion back to the U S we feel like right now there's more need than ever to like shine a light on some of the positive, especially innovative things that are taking place because there is still a lot of that, obviously. Completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You said you mentioned the, you know, American by birth, Canadian by choice. I grew up in Guatemala, so I was born in America but I always say, whenever people ask me, you know, what what I am, who I am, I tell them Guatemalan, and I've spent, you know, 14 years outside the U.S. in 25 different countries. Like that's me, you know. The the I, I struggle. That's a whole. This is a whole different podcast episode of me just talking. But you know, I struggle with the American side of myself because I've I, I've seen I've seen too much of the world. Uh, both, both the, I mean, both the amazing parts of it. I've been in some of the most beautiful places in the world, and also some of the grossest, like ugliest, like war torn, pain stricken mm-hmm. parts of the world. That, like, when I come back here, it just feels in some places. Now, New York's, you know, there's more awareness in New York and different cities like that. But in a lot of places, it's like you've never left here, have you? The the way that you talk and think and do things just clearly shows that to me. I'm always telling people like travel when you can as quickly as you can as long as you can because there's so much more out there to see. Uh, you need. But not you, you, everybody has that choice. Like, right. Not, not everybody can. You know. So like that's one of the hard things that I think that anybody that's sort of in the social impact space has to deal with. And when I say hard, it's like okay, it's not that hard. Just 
just do it, um, is to, is to sort of filter the judgment. Like, don't say like, oh, okay, well, you know, travel more. You need to see the world. You, it's required that you be empathetic and just listen and try to like understand that people know what they know. You know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's a incredible piece of advice. I love that. Um, so in this ever changing journey of giving a damn, as it were, have you quickly recount if you have any that pop up any ups and downs, like what were the kinds of hardships that you've encountered as you've grown to become someone that gives more dams about more people, things and places? Well, I miss my family. Um, I don't think I could be as effective with my work doing it in Albuquerque. So sort of thinking about, okay, well, you know, it's not that you're putting your work first, like your work has purpose. So it's okay. And justifying that to myself, like that's kind of been something that I struggle with from time to time, sometimes more than others. Um, I mean, like I'd mentioned earlier, making the business case has become a lot easier. Um, turning away a lot of business has become, we don't think about it anymore. It's not a struggle. Like, to be honest, like we're actually at a really exciting point right now is trying to think of some of those things prior to this call. Like, I don't know. I, I would say that we're kind of just focused on the highlights right now. Awesome. Yeah. No, that's good. I hate for, for that to sound cheesy, but we kind of are. No, no, that's <laughs> great. I mean, you know, as I've had conversations with different people, some have more downs and ups and some have more ups than downs. And I think it's kind of seasonal, you know, where you guys, you guys are in a sweet spot and that's really great because I want people to know that it's not all like shitty. Like you, you do get to a point where you get this like enjoy, you know, impacting and changing the world. So I, I, I love that you're kind of short on downs and you're more ups right now. I love that. Right. Yeah, um, no, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So most of the people listening and I, and I not only, I'm not guessing at this, like I talk with them through text, uh, they email me, Facebook, whatever. Most of the people that I encounter that are into let's give a damn, they want to be part of this family, they want to do something that changes the world to help those around them. I think everybody does, but these people are hyper aware right now. So can you give some practical just two or three practical steps based on your experience. If someone says, if someone is living a pretty self-centered life, they're not thinking about uh, setting money aside for this, that, or putting, or buying from social impact companies, what are some ways that your average person can begin uh, taking steps toward living a life that truly is others centered? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's funny. Um, Asking that question is the first step. <laughs> my mom actually asked me the other day. She's like, um, Missy, my family calls me Missy. She said, Missy, how, um, I read your website and I thought it was really great. I, w- I would love to understand how I could have like more social impact in my life and in my career. And I was like so oh, proud. Wow. I was so proud and touched like to hear my mom say that. That's um, awesome. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, well, mom, you're a real estate broker. How can I respond to this with something that will can actually be applied. You know, I don't want to say, you know, change jobs. I don't want to say, because that's not the case. Like there's, there's innovations happening in every industry. But, um, I told her that, um, to start with making small changes in her personal life that like kind of what you had mentioned, um, like voting with your wallet. So buying locally, you know, if you already recycle, go one step further and compost as well. Just making these small little like personal lifestyle choices become habits. And then you, I think that you become proud, proudful and pride, proudful, proud, proud. <laughs> um, uh, you become proud of um, like the impact that you're making and little, little actions that you take every day. And so I think that when you start shifting your personal behavior, 
those turn into habits. And then you start like paying attention to other innovations, like other things will start jumping out to you. You might, I don't know, there's, the other thing is, is reading the news. And I know that it's a very daunting thing right now, but I would encourage people, I, I tell this to my mom too, like, listen to, to BBC. Like there's too much noise politically happening in U.S. news right now that it's not fair to tell somebody like, you know, don't ignore the news. Like I think there needs to be more guidance right now because yeah. So yeah, just small personal habits I would say would be a great place to start. And then like there's publications, um, for, for people that are like small business owners or even small to medium business owners. Um, FASCO is amazing for social innovation. They're always spotlighting different innovations. So getting a subscription to that or looking on their website, following them on Facebook even, and just seeing some of the, um, the spotlights that they're doing on companies that are finding innovative solutions for yeah they problem. just uh they just launched their or actually this coming week is their 2017 uh most innovative companies of 2017 and uh they have a whole nonprofit. they have a bunch of companies and they're amazing companies and then there's the nonprofit section and uh i interviewed brett hagler from new story charity in san francisco he's the ceo and they're similar you mentioned the whole housing one for one they have a an incredible model where they build these $6,000 homes in communities all over the world. They're doing incredible work and they were on the list. So that was really cool. I, I, so anyways, I, I get fast co where I'm a subscriber. And so I, I agree. I agree. Um, great steps before I ask the last two questions, as we begin to wrap up, actually, before I ask, before I say this, uh, where can the let's give a damn family keep up with you and your company online? Yulu PR is the, the main place. We're still building out Impact Relations online community right now. It, you can find it, but there's not a ton of um, engagement happening there yet. But in six months from now, it's going to be a different story, hopefully. Um, but Yulu PR, just Y-U-L-U-P-R.com, or that's our at handle for Instagram and Facebook. Perfect. And uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to give your, give your own, but what's your personal? My Twitter, 604PR, or my handles are just my name, Melissa Roscoe. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Before I ask the last question now, I just want to take a quick moment to honor you for your work, your creativity, your contribution to the world. I'm so inspired by you. And I mean, just not just that you're running this business, but you know, I just in our current, uh, social and political climate, like that you as a woman have been able to accomplish this because I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I'm, I'm as feminist as they come. I think I, <laughs> I love, I love to see the women around me empowered. I try to do that with my wife and I'm trying to do it with my two daughters. Oh, and nice. so I just love that you and your team um, have been able to do what you're doing. And I really hope this thing continues to grow um, and that your work continues to grow. So I just wanted to honor you and um, just say that about you and your company and what you're doing. Oh, that's really cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, last question before we wrap up and say goodbye. Um, when you die, which hopefully won't be for many, many years, I'm going to give your eulogy. Your friends, your fans, uh, all the people that love you are going to be there. In three to four sentences, what do you want me to say in your eulogy? What do you want your legacy to be? I would say she wasn't afraid to ask questions because <laughs> I'm not I ask a lot of questions that she enjoyed shining a light on innovation so much. She created an industry out of it. I don't know. I'd hope that people would say that I was a leader from that, that led from my heart, um, that 
I was a leader with humanity and empathy above all else because those are things that I like strive to be every day. So I, I'd hope that things like that made it in there, I would say. I think if, if whoever gives a eulogy someday said those things, that would be job well done. <laughs> that, that's, that's really cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a, a very enlightening conversation. I know people are going to love it, especially for anybody that is entrepreneurial, uh, small business, no business, but wants to start a business. I think this will be very informative for them. So thank you so much for joining me and uh, hope to keep up with you. I'm actually, I just want to say like, yeah. that kudos that you gave me, like right back at you. You're doing the same thing. You're oh, thank you. spotlighting ordinary people doing extraordinary things. That's like, Thanks. I, yeah. I want to spend the rest of my life doing this in some way, shape or form, because just in the little bit that I've done so far with this podcast, it's, it's, fun, isn't it? <laughs> it's been, I mean, I've been doing this in my own life for many years, just traveling all over the world, trying to help people, um, trying to think of others first, but now getting to share stories and tell stories, even in this little way, like I want this to grow. I want this to be a, a big good news company, a good news platform. But right now it's a podcast and yeah, it's been super fun. I mean, one, one of my friends, she was listening to, she listened to one episode and the, the very first episode, uh, and it caused her to want to not want to, she ended up quitting her job to go do what she's wanted to do for so long, which was be a, be a teacher in a, a more urban inner city school. That was her heart. I assume it was a, a pay cut for her and, you know, just a different life from here on out, but one episode. And so if I can, you know, continue to do that, uh, telling your story and other stories that to me, that's, it'll be super fun to do this for a long, long time in different ways. So thank you so much. Thank you. Cool. Well, we'll keep up with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Have a good one. Guys and girls, I'm so thrilled that I got to have that chat with Melissa. Thanks for listening in. And make sure you don't just listen in, though. As a result, go out and give so many dams this week. I mean that. If you have a little extra juice in you, please go leave a review on iTunes. It will literally take one minute, 30 seconds even, and it helps us out a ton. And as you listen to each episode of this podcast, if someone comes up in your mind that you think should listen to this, Don't forget to send it to them right now. Listening to this chat, this conversation, this dialogue may change the very course of their lives. Connect with us on social media. We're at Let's Give a Damn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I'd love to chat with you there. You can also find out different ways you can support what we're doing by visiting letsgiveadam.com. Also, I'd love to hang out with you at Nick LaPara on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's all for this week, friends. I love you all. I'm so grateful for your support and attention, and I can't wait to spend time with you very, very soon. Until next week, bye.